Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and today's episode is actually an episode that maybe uh, you were one of the uh, people that requested it. And uh, I take uh, requests, I, I take them very seriously. Um, I There's some requests that I will not honor, but there's very few that I uh there's very few of those that I will not honor, but uh, this person happened to have been on my list already, so it just uh, kind of worked out. So I am pleased to welcome Dawn Brewers from Fortitude Community Outreach uh, to the podcast. Thank you. Oops, that's the wrong one. Let me. There, there we go. <laughs> I got to have a round of applause for you. Nice. So, Don, you and I, uh, we figured this out. We briefly met uh, some years ago, but mm-hmm. we haven't actually had a, a, a sit-down conversation mm-hmm. like this. And since um, I first met you and first heard about Fortitude Community Outreach, things have just seemed to they, from the outside anyway, it looks like things are going really mm-hmm. well. Um, but, but but first, before we get into fortitude, I want to learn about you. Where where does Dawn come from? Are, are you a, a Kankakee County native or are you from outside the area or? Yeah, close. I grew up on a farm in Lake Village, which is literally right across the border in yeah. Indiana. Okay. Um, my dad was a farmer. And when I was in junior high, my mom started teaching at Olivet. So I went to Olivet got married, planted myself here, and I've been here ever since. Okay. So I've been a social worker in the in the community in one capacity or another since 1996, which seems a very long time ago now. But it also feels like yesterday, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I still think, oh, 96, that was what, like 10 years ago, right? Yep, uh, nope. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, uh, one, two, oh, yeah, yep. that's, that's uh, almost 30 years ago. Whoops. <laughs> don't, don't. Uh-huh. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think every time I think of 96, usually one of the first <laughs> things that pops into my brain is Space Jam. Because I, <laughs> I think that was the year Space Jam came out or some, something like that. I always think of, of things like. Yeah. No, yeah. that's the year I graduated, got married, settled in Kiki. So as a going, um, what's like, I've never been to Lake Village. <laughs> I mean, I've, 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 I've talked to radio listeners because sometimes uh, some of the, the people that win contests on the, the Milner media stations, they, they get. Uh, mm-hmm. Our our stations, you know, the Valley and and WFAV and River Country, they reach Lake Village. So mm-hmm. sometimes our winners end up being from there. But I've actually never been there. It's a pretty small town, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The joke is that if you blink, you miss it. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. drive through. Yeah. Um, we're not known for anything except farms, and then the next town over is Rose Lawn, which is known for their nudist camps. So. Oh, that is, there yeah, is a nudist yeah, camp yeah. there. There That's was two. Right. There may be just one now, but there were two when what, I was growing up. What were the two? It was Ponderosa Sun Club in Naked City. <laughs> okay, Naked. Okay, I was going to. This say, is why I came onto your podcast. I, right. This is what we're we're talking about. This is the important subject. So uh-huh. I'm glad that uh, we yes. we've now transitioned. <laughs> this podcast is no longer about fortitude. Let's let's forget about that. This is about Ponderosa oh. uh, Sun Club. Um, I I. I, cu- I couldn't remember if Ponderosa was actually in Indiana or not. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're both in Roselawn. Yeah, that's um, 
That's so funny. Uh, my uh, my friend Mike Tamano from the Valley, yeah. who's the morning show host, they're they're always joking about the Ponderosa yeah. Sun Club, and that still yeah that still exists. I've never heard of Naked City. That was a new one to me, but uh, that'll be on the next podcast. Of course, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not uh, any affiliation to Kankakee County, but I would imagine that would be uh, interesting. What was it like growing up near? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, there's always a curiosity as a child. Yeah. Um, but it's very, it's very blocked off. It certainly wasn't in my sphere of influence. And mm-hmm. so I, yeah, because I mean, nothing. I, I know I've, I know at some point or another, I could swear I drove by like the, like the entrance, right? Because isn't yeah. there a, there's a sign, there's a sign yeah. for Ponderosa. Yeah. But obviously it's, it's, uh, it's, the actual camp or the club is way yeah, down it's into the woods. Yeah. It's way into the woods. So did, yeah. So growing up, what were you told about it or, or were there, <laughs> when, when uh, you ever drove past it or whatever, what did your parents tell you it was instead of, or did they just say, yeah, that's a nudist. Yeah. Camp. I think that's about all that I knew, uh, uh-huh. you know, left the rest to imagination. Yeah. Which is dangerous. Yeah, but. and I still know next to nothing, and I don't need to know any more than that. <laughs> I'm just curious what, you know, because obviously, I mean, Rose Lawn is not far from Kankakee, but yeah. still, like, uh, we don't have a nudist. No, it's a bit as of far as world. I know, uh, we don't have any nudist camps in, in the county. I no, mean, I there could be a secret no. one somewhere. It could but, be. What's, yeah. what's funny is that in Europe, that it's nothing. Right. It's, it's true. It, they're everywhere. Be nude, nudist no. beaches, nudist yeah. camps, all that stuff. We Americans are all uptight about it. We really yeah. are. Um, but anyway, so you grew up, <laughs> you grew up in Lake Village. You go to uh, Olivet Nazarene. Yep. It's a social worker. Mm-hmm. Where did you get your first job as a social worker? My first job was at Helen Wheeler Center. Okay. I worked with adult mental health. Loved that. Moved to Thresholds, which is also adult mental health. That's more a severe psychiatric. Um, and then I went back and became a school social worker. So got a little extra education and became certified in school social work. And I did that up until 2007, no, 14, 2014. Is that when you got your PhD then? Or S- No. Um, then in 2014, I started teaching full-time at Olivet. Oh, okay. And so I started my PhD then, and then, um, I left Olivet in 2017 and finished, I think the year after that. I myself, I don't even know if I properly know what the role of a social worker is. I feel like, well, I feel like it's one of those things that, um, gets, uh, Mis- misconstrued or misidentified yeah. or we take or children just... away that's what about <laughs> well parts. that's what i mean like so I, <laughs> I mean i i feel like uh, what what is the the definition of a, a what really is a social worker yeah. i guess to to put it in layman's terms okay well that's an know. excellent question so we we kind of jokingly in the field have um <laughs> when i when i met you coming in today you said something about it PhD in psychology, and I gave you that look. Like, you gave me that look. Oh, well, no. I could have. Well, <laughs> see, like I said, we've only, from my recollection, mm-hmm. we met that one time, mm-hmm. and I could have swore that someone told me, uh, you know, they had you written down as as Doctor Brewers, and and I thought it, I thought it was psychology, <laughs> but like I said, that you know, that's been three or four years right. ago. Yeah, we well, we're. I couldn't remember. We kind of are very separatist in terms of psychology, so, counseling, and social work. Yeah, they're they're really they really are separate, and that's why yeah. I want to know in, yeah. in layman's terms, like a social worker, mm-hmm. you know. So what distinguishes social work is that we have a dual focus on individual meeting individual needs and a macro purpose, which is more of advocacy policy. So we recognize that individual issues are caused by systemic issues. So poverty. Historically, um, people looked at poverty as a an individual fault. You a were, weakness. You were poor. You had an addiction. You had whatever, whatever that vulnerability was. It was because you had a weakness. You had a fault. So we have since realized that there's systemic issues that call, cause poverty. There's systemic issues that cause addiction, and so we can address the person. 
But if we don't also address the systemic issues, then we're just, uh, you know, the whole you can give a person a fish for a day and they can they can eat for a day. You and teach then, them how to fish mm-hmm. and you, you know, make lifelong changes. And so um, so even when I was at Olivet, um, you know, my profs would say you're, you're a macro social worker. And that's because I have always seen the big picture. And, you know, I have a private practice as well. So I love working with individuals, but I also love the whole area of making a difference systemically. So that can get overwhelming because change at this uh, systemic yeah. level happens very slowly. Yes, it does. Um, but when you do make those changes, it's exhilarating. And, and that's when you, you know, make those ripples. I, I tell my students, um, you know, social workers can get overwhelmed with the idea of changing the world. You know, I'm using air quotes here. Changing the world. <laughs> um, we don't have to change the whole world. But when we do a little something, we're making a, a ripple effect in the in the world. So, you know, we have to think about those things that you can – some people make huge changes. Some people make little changes. It all makes a difference. And the little changes are sometimes the ones that actually make the biggest difference because mm-hmm. you your little ripple could impact just one person. Yeah. And then that's the one person that ends up making the big Right. Wave. Yeah. You never know. You never know who that person's going to be. Yeah. So going from, you know, even from if you're doing a more individualized standpoint, that can even take a long time, though, Mm -hmm. too, to make a a difference in that. Yeah. That person's life. Yeah. Um, So so that that micro individual focus of social work, psychology counseling is very important. So I don't diminish that in any way. Oh, yeah. Um, But. To be considered a social work, social work as a profession, it it mandates we have an ethical mandate to be involved in both of those micro and macro levels of of change and care. So, are you you are still you mentioned students? Are you are you still teaching in all of that? Then? Yeah, I, no, okay. not at all of that. No. But I teach at Walden University, which is where I got my PhD. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. awesome. So you've got man, you. Busy. I'm surprised I, yeah. I was able to talk to you today. Full. Yeah. Um, so, so you teach them, um, and then you have your own practice, mm-hmm. and then Fortitude mm-hmm. is that's my full time job. That that's really your full time gig. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know you you get into um, you, you know you get out of school. You're working at these uh, different organizations. Mm-hmm. Where does Fortitude come into play? So what's interesting is that in all of those areas, I worked with the homeless in one way or another. So I have that long experience of seeing kind of homelessness from many different angles. And then when I, when I started teaching at Olivet, I got involved with, um, it's called the Continuum of Care, which is really a local group of homeless providers Um, or other supporters of the homeless, like there's some local pastors involved. Um, All around the United States, there's continuum of cares. It's just mandated by the federal government. So I started getting involved with them. And, you know, true to my very macro self, it was really clear really quickly that there were huge gaps in what our homeless needed for services. So um, at that point, I think I, I um, started on Salvation Army's board of directors. And, um, and then eventually, I think in 2016, um, decided that the best place to start to fill those gaps was doing street outreach because that was us meeting them where they were, which was on the street. Um, one of the things I noticed as a problem slash gap in care for the homeless was that it was a very um, agency, your traditional agency approach. So I'm sitting in my office in my agency behind my desk. If you want help, you need to come in. Mm, that's and, daunting. <laughs> yes. So you need to come in and then and then I'm going to tell you what I what services I have funding for. And so. I kind of set out to flip that paradigm, which was I'm going to come to you and I'm going to find out from you what those needs are. 
and I'm going to figure out a way to meet those. Not me, but we're going to we're going to figure out a way to get those needs met. So we started street outreach really with the intention of, um, you know, trying to meet some needs, some very basic needs, hygiene and blankets and coats and things like that. But to get to know the homeless, get to be trusted within their community and then learn from them. What what are their biggest needs? How can we best address those? So that was a huge time of learning for us. We've changed a lot since then just because we have learned a lot. And so we just constantly morphed based on the information we were learning from them. So in 2008, 2017, I think, um, the Salvation Army on-site shelter closed. And that was... Because there was a women's shelter mm-hmm. at Salvation Army. They had and both. At, at, one closed before the other, yeah. right? I think maybe the women's shelter went first. I, I, I can't remember. I can't remember either, but now yeah. they're both closed. Yes. Yeah. So they have switched their sheltering models. So now they provide hotel vouchers. Um, but, you know, what we were seeing was there, there was still this huge need for an on-site shelter. And we see that all the time. Um, for example, you know, the agencies are open Monday through Friday till 4.30 or 5 o'clock. So if you become homeless on Friday night at 8 o'clock, <laughs> what, what do you do? Yeah. Um, nothing's open until Monday. If Monday's a holiday, which it often is, oh, then, you, then you're you've got even, nothing until Tuesday. And- so, um, you know, there's – and so the federal government's priority right now is rapid rehousing is what they call it, which is never rapid, let's be honest. And that is getting people into apartments as quick as possible. But that's not going to happen. That's a that's a huge that's a huge long term goal. It is. Right. So that takes a, a long time, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you if you become homeless on Friday night at eight o'clock, it's not like you're going to be back into an apartment anytime soon. Yeah. Well, from OK to I don't I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. I'm just curious in, in your experience, because I'm sure you do help people get to that goal of in an apartment. How long does that actually take mm-hmm. in your experience? It completely depends on the person. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we had we had a couple of people last year who saved their stimulus checks. And then it was really just a matter of finding an apartment. Once they found an apartment, they were able to get in really quickly. But they were also individuals who had the capability to live on their own. A lot of the individuals that we serve are not near the point where they're ready to be in an apartment of their own, pay their rent, pay the electric bill. That's a process of preparing them for that, educating, um, becoming financially independent. So there are programs with some of the agencies where they can assist you, um, you know, maybe even up for, to a year with funding once they get you into an apartment. But again, you have to be, you have to be ready to do that. And a lot of our, our individuals are not near there. So we're t- you're talking with those individuals several months to years, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. At that point. Yep. It's definitely a process. And we definitely need to... Uh, we need to grow our capacity with case management. So right now our focus is on the emergency sheltering. um, And we work with our individuals as much as we are able to move them to the next step, whether that's work or an apartment. But when we get the funding and the capacity to be able to provide that intense service during the day when other agencies are open, that's when we're going to be able to really make transformational change. So you're you're more or less there for those hours when those agencies aren't mm-hmm. yeah. open. Yeah. We're not able to provide many services during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of depending on the other agencies to provide a lot of that right now, which is hard because, uh, you know, I, I can't control where our folks go. Once no. they leave our shelter in the morning, I can't make them go if they don't want to. So we, we kind of lose we kind of lose them during uh-huh. the day. So I'm sorry, going back to what you were talking about with the the rapid rapid rehousing. Yeah, rapid rehousing. How what what exact how does that work? Um or what were you going to say about uh, that? I'm, so, I'm sorry. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um 
So I was, I think I was saying that we, there's a need for emergency sheltering. Okay. Um, yeah. When people become homeless, they need a place to land immediately until they can access some more long-term assistance. And there is some of that available. Um, and so the, the frustration is that the federal government really, the federal government, state government really don't recognize an emergency overnight shelter as that big of a priority. So we figured out right away that if this was gonna happen, it was gonna happen by support of the community. We weren't going to be able to rely on, you know, a lot of federal grants, state grants to be able to do that. Um, the benefit of that is that our funds are unrestricted to do what we set out to do, which is to provide the services that are needed, not simply the services that we're funded to provide. So a lot of times what we see in social services is somebody hears about a grant and they think, oh, that's the service that I can do. So I'm going to go for that grant. Well, now you have a pot of money that has to be spent on that one thing, right? <laughs> or that right that one thing with 100 restrictions, right? You have to meet all of these qualifications in order to be eligible for that money, and we're seeing that with the eviction, um, the the grants available to individuals to avoid being evicted, is that there's pots of money sitting around that they can't give away because. Um, they all people the don't meet all that criteria yeah. or they don't jump through the hoops to get the signatures or the paperwork or whatever. So we wanted to, as much as we were able, be able to provide our funds for exactly what was needed. And, and you know, for the most part, we're doing that. So you're getting your, your funding is not coming from the government then? Not primarily, no. So how do you get your funding? The community is, um, boy, seventy-five to eighty percent, something like that. Just donations through yeah. the community. Um, we have several churches that support us. Some um, monthly, some you know sporadically, but we so we have a lot of uh, church support. But the bulk of our money is coming from individuals, businesses. So yeah, Kankakee County. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's it's a it's a double edged sword because what you said with, you know, you're not getting all that those you're not applying for all those grants and getting all that money flowing through the door. But the money you do get, you can mm -hmm. do what you want with it without the res those restrictions. Right. Right. Which is a beautiful thing, yeah. actually. Yeah. And now, obviously, we have a budget, but... <laughs> well, no, I know it's not just like, hey, we're just doing what we want, you know, pizza yeah. party tonight, <laughs> you know, like, right. obviously, there's, you know, you have a plan. Yeah. You're not going to just do whatever, but it it still, it, it leaves, it leaves you open to actually serve what yeah. really needs to... And so many different people have, as, as you've seen, so many... Um, Everyone has so many different needs. Mm -hmm. It's not just uh, everyone doesn't fit into one box, right. one category. So we're able to assess what those needs are. And for some people, it's the need of uh, down payment and first month's rent. You know, like they have a, a full-time job at McDonald's, but they can't save enough for that first month's rent or deposit, which if you're in the shoes of a lot of our individuals— with a not so great financial or rental record, there's landlords that sometimes will ask for three months worth of first month okay. rent um, or deposit. So that number is not necessarily like $1,200. It's $2,400 or yeah. something like that. Yeah, because of their their past. Right. Uh, and this is happening even more now because renters, uh, sorry, landlords have... Had a very difficult time. Extremely difficult time. Yeah. So even if, uh, you know, a person doesn't have a bad record, they might still be saying, you know what? Yeah. The experience I've had this last, these last two years, I'm going to need more yeah. Yeah. money from yeah. you. So sometimes they just need that pot of money to get them into the place, but they can sustain themselves once they're in there. The other thing that we have done is, um, you know, if you think about, 
the, the individuals who come to us rarely have any more possessions than the backpack that they carry with them all the time. So, okay, they get an apartment. How are they going to, what bed are they going to sleep in? What couch are they going to sit on? <laughs> what pots and pans are they going to cook with? Um, they have nothing. And so what we do then is we ask the community, we, we put out a list. This is exactly what we need. And they provide, and we are able to furnish the entire apartment with, you know, all the basic needs to get them started. So it's it's things like that. It's learning wh- what those needs are and figuring out a way to fill it. So um, so what is the homeless situation like in Kankakee County right now? We're crisis level. <laughs> um, and what determines that to be crisis level? Yeah, me. That's just me saying it's good. <laughs> uh, no, here's, um, here's where we're at. Uh, so for the first time since we started, which is three years ago now. Four, well, you said 2016, three. right? Or we was started, it 2016? We opened the fit? shelter January 2019. Okay. So this uh, so this will be our third year. Okay. January 20. Uh, no. Yeah. Third year. Math. So um, this is the first time that we have started filling up regularly. So in the past, we really, I could count on one hand probably the, t- the nights that we filled to capacity and had to turn people away. And so now it's pretty much every night we're filling to capacity and, and um, you know, at times we're having to turn people away, which is always terrible. Um, and I'm getting calls all the time from individuals. I got evicted. Um, I'm a single mom with three kids living in my car. The eviction crisis is just starting. So this is going to get way worse as those evictions get through the courts. And um, on top of that, like we just said, it's much, much more difficult to get into an apartment now than it was two years ago. Because of this whole crisis. So there's this whole ripple effect that's from the, the pandemic. So we have that coming. and So we're already seeing that. So. Um, so we've we actually met last week, maybe earlier this week, with um, all of the homeless providers and um, a representative from the city, and we had a roundtable discussion of like, here's the here the crisis is here. What are we going to do? Because we are at capacity. Salvation Army is at capacity. Oh, they are taking oh well hotel you vouchers. vouchers. Yes, yeah. they run out of hotel vouchers every week. Um, and funding to um, pay for those vouchers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they are at their capacity really with case managers as well. Their their caseloads are tapped out. Um, KCCSI is you know pretty much at their their limit in terms of what they're able to do. And so you know, as I'm talking to all these providers, everyone says there's you know we are doing as much as we're able to do basically. And so we've reached out to the city. Um, we've brainstormed some crazy ideas, trying to figure out what are we going to do to house people this winter, and we don't have a solution yet. So we, you know, have we're kind of clinging onto a couple ideas that may or may not pan out. But um, the bottom line is, I don't think we are going to be able to meet everybody's needs this this uh, winter. So we have a lot of people that live in their cars. Yes. A lot of people. A lot of people um, live in abandoned homes. A lot of people, a lot of people are doubled up. So they're sleeping on somebody's couch. Um, so there's a, there's a ton of people that we never see because they're managing somewhere else. But, yeah, it's, it's a bad situation. What are, are you able to talk about some of the possible solutions or what is the solution in your eyes it's obviously more space but that requires more money right as well i i feel like the space part is not really the issue it's oh, the money right the space part is definitely an it issue. is okay because i was just thinking of all these buildings that you could do something with but it comes back to well let's say we've got an okay for this building but we don't have the funds you know right. um there's, there's not as much appropriate buildings for sheltering as you may think. Yes, there's a lot of buildings that aren't being used. 
but they're not appropriate for sheltering. Shelter facilities have to have sprinklers. So that's a non-starter for most places. Yeah, that's true. A lot of places don't have, you're talking about the uh, the overhead yeah, sprinkler yeah. system. Yeah, there's, you're right. That's, that mm-hmm. is uh, cutting out a lot already. Yep. But no matter what, what we would look to, you know, another space, you'd have to get city approval. You'd have to get permitting. None of that happens quickly. And none of it is easy. <laughs> if you look at our history of, you know, getting permits and approvals, it's a long process. So none of it's going to happen in the next few months, you know, for this winter. Mm-hmm. Well, what are things that people can do now? Are people opening up their homes? I mean, uh, what? Oh, I never really suggest that. I, I'm sure you don't because <laughs> obviously you do that then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Limits and boundaries are very important working with this population. Um, I've heard many, many horror stories. People, you know, having the best intentions, wanting to help someone and um, getting hurt in the long run by those efforts. So, you know, we always suggest leave it to, you know, organizations to kind of make those decisions, uh, those decisions and, and be helpful in a safe, controlled environment, you know, where we can have those boundaries. Um, so the the best recommendation I have is to support those organizations. We have, um, so you talked about space. Space is definitely an issue. Yeah, because isn't Gift of God closed now too? Or Gift, is that open still? It is currently closed. Um, I, I don't want to I don't want to speak for them per se. I can say I know. I just that figured, you know, you're talking about this mm-hmm. uh, community yes. of spaces, and I figured they're probably in that. It is. A sp- I would think it is a, sp- a space. I mean, it's a sp- <laughs> right. It's a space. It's one of the. I would think one of the facilities mm-hmm. in the area. Yeah. So I know that they have a desire to reopen. Um, I think first for day stuff, and then hopefully for overnight. But I. I, that's all I know. Yeah, I know you can't yeah. speak on their behalf. Yeah. I was just curious on whether. Yeah, it, it is a possibility in terms of how many they can shelter. That I don't know. Yeah. So um, I don't know how big of an impact that would make on the large numbers that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure at this point, every little bit is going to help. Yeah. Now, your facility is the um, in downtown. Mm-hmm. And. That the the fact that that finally got passed. Yeah. I mean, how long did that did that go on for over a year? Yeah, we applied last summer, and um, was denied. And you can't reapply for another twelve months. So we replied this summer, and we're able to get that approval. It was contingent on it only being one year. So we know that they're not going to reapprove us for next shelter season. So when is the when is the jig up? When is the date? Yeah. Well, our shelter season ends May 1. Okay. And we would reopen October 1. So we know that come October 1, we're not going to be at St. Paul's 5 days a week. Okay. Um so the goal is to have our new shelter by October 1. Yeah, you so I know that is um you've you've, you've been showing the the mm-hmm. details of the plans online, which is super exciting. The fact that you have been able, the Fortitude Community Outreach has been able to uh, get access to land mm-hmm. and funds and all this to actually build a building. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the corner of court and... It's not in the corner, but it's it's on Basically, Court in Washington, but just north of CVS. So CVS is at Court in Washington. Yeah. And then just to the north of that is just a grassy, um, it's actually two um, two plots of land. It is two together. plots. So you yeah. have one. <clears throat> you have one of those. We then. have both. You do have yeah, both. It's okay. not, the, neither one is large, but um, so that whole grassy area between CVS and the next house is ours. Um, so, yeah, it's a. It's a perfect location in my mind. And how did that how did that get into your hands? I mean, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. Um, 
one of probably one of the most fun things about my job is that you never know what's going to fall into your lap. You never know what's going to show up in the mail. You never know what message you're going to get on your phone. Or who's going to show up at the door or <laughs> what's going to show up at the door. Um, yeah, and sometimes it's bad news and a lot of times it's great news. Oh, and that's good. So, um, l- little aside, you've seen the movie, um, oh, what's the one with Tom Hanks where he gets a- stranded on an island? Oh, Castaway. Castaway. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, oh, Wilson. <laughs> Wilson. <laughs> Wilson. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Wilson. Oh, uh, there, you know, at the end when he's rescued and he's talking to his friend and he, um, talks about, you know, getting to a point where he's so low, he was thinking of ending it. And then, uh, and then he decided not to. And then suddenly there was a storm and, um, and then, and then there was a sale and, um, you know, he's, he's talking about this fact that we don't know what's going to happen and then you one day the thing that's going to change your life suddenly shows up and so I get those moments often which is so exciting so um a year ago we started looking at we got a steering committee together we were looking at buying a building the problem was that every building that was in our price range would have cost an exorbitant amount of money to rehab because Usually you're looking at asbestos removal, mold removal, ADA compliance, and sprinklers. sprinkler system <laughs> yeah. um, on top of just, you know, Everything. retrofitting the building. Yeah. And, um, the, and of course, the thing is, we've got plenty of buildings. Oh, sure. Yeah. Plenty. Yeah. But. Yeah. But we got to pay to get it up to code and rehab it. Yeah. Um, and then any building that, you know, was newer and wouldn't need all that, we couldn't afford we could, it. I mean, yeah. we're talking millions of dollars right. for buildings like that. Yeah. So we actually um, were uh, offered a building to be donated to us, but we had that um, priced out and it would have been $2.1 million to rehab it. Wow. So you can get the buildings for free. <laughs> you can't afford to rehab yeah. it. Yeah. Um. So uh, I got a call from Jeff Satoff, uh, just a local guy, earlier this year, uh, probably in May. And he was like, I got this piece of land in an auction. I thought I'd do something with it and hasn't panned out. And um, just think, just wondering if it's something you can use. And so we went and looked at the land. It was in this perfect location. There's bus stops all over it. It's out of downtown, which we know everybody wants. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's close enough to all the services that they need in that area. And Yeah, because it's not like it's really that far from like Skyler. I mean, it's, you know. uh, No, not. It's it's, it's right there. Yeah, incredibly walkable to anything that they would need. But, you know, it's not it's not right on the main drag. It's not right in the middle of a, a part in town that's really a focus of development. So to us, it was really a perfect spot. And so we started working with the city on, you know, is this something we think that the city would approve? It had liens on it. Will the city forgive the liens, which they did? Um, and so that was like a seven-month process of before we could even tell Jeff, yes, we'll accept the land. Mm-hmm. Um, so poor Jeff had to keep mowing the lawn and paying taxes on it <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Um, until we were able to say, yes, we we can accept that. And then, um, so we priced that out about the same time that we were pricing out the potential building donation. That would have been $2.1 million. This is going to be like 550000 So that was a no-brainer. Wow. Yeah. It's, that's still amazing even considering the talk of – uh, cost of materials yeah. these days too, yeah. but I suppose you're starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And we're um, doing a uh, it's uh, like a wood frame. Um, this is not my area of expertise. Tell <laughs> construction. I'm learning a lot. But <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that'd be a, another a learning curve yeah. for everybody. Um, but it's kind of a like pole barn type, you know. Um, it's called a Graber building, but so that saves us a little cost from your, you know, typical wood frame building. Um, it's not going to be a huge facility, but it meets our needs. It, it meets exactly what we need. Is it, is it bigger than St. Paul, the school, yeah. the same old St. Paul school where yeah, you're at? Almost double. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 
So the the beauty of this building is that it's super open it design inside so that we have eyes on everybody all the time. And that is so important on an emergency shelter because you can come in. I don't know you at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got someone maybe who's been staying there for a couple of weeks who you've gotten to know. Mm-hmm. So and yeah. you're and you're you're it's almost like there that person that's been there for a couple of weeks or however long is mm-hmm. trusting you mm-hmm. to bring in someone that's not going right. to hurt them or whoever is yep. with them. And my volunteers and, and your, my staff. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, so safety is very important. We also get overflow from Harbor House because they ha- they're seeing the same crisis that the rest of yes. us are. Yep. Um, domestic violence has risen incredibly since the pandemic started for obvious reasons. Um, and so we're getting individuals who have, um, you know, done their whole stay at Harbor House and or they're full. So we we often have women that are in very delicate situations, very vulnerable situations. And our facility has both men and women in it and can have children also. So you you do you want to have eyes on everybody and you want to make sure that you're providing that security for everyone that's in there. One of the great things about this building is that it has two private rooms with uh, two bunk beds in each, so four beds in each one. And so if we had um, like a mother with three kids, they could have their own private space or just someone who had some special needs or very vulnerable individual could have that private space. So we're very excited about being able to do that. With a pandemic, it's also a place where we can isolate people if necessary. Um, but yeah, that that type of design is exactly what we needed. So we were able to design it exactly as we wanted. Um, it also has three transitional housing units oh, built wow. onto the back of it. So they don't have direct access to the shelter. Um, they're standalone uh, accessible, but they are attached to the back of the building. And so, so, that, so that's for people that are, uh, it's almost like they, they can stay there mm-hmm. in one of those units before actually right. having their own yep. it's kind of a practice. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's for individuals that have been staying with us who are ready for a next step, but maybe not ready to live on their own yet. And that's a, a place where they can, um, you know, start contributing. They can, you know, pay us some rent, but not like a full market rent. And yeah, you're not going to be like, yeah, give me $700. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's not going to prepare you to save money. (laughs) No. Um, Yeah, but that, you know, helps them be responsible. Um, Learning how to pay rent, uh, but also being able to save for their own place. So we're, we're really excited about that and them being on site with us gives us the ability to provide some good oversight and supervision. Yeah. And almost kind of coach, you mm-hmm. know, coach them with budget and all that. You know, yeah. I mean, how many, how many of us that aren't homeless right. don't know how to budget <laughs> right. for crying out loud? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah. It, it's just something that is not, I feel like it's not taught enough. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And when you're living on, you know, minimum wage. Yeah, or less. Every I mean, depending on what your situation is. Yep. So I'm sure some people are wondering what, what it, you know, the the situations. Obviously, as we've said many times, everyone's situation is different. But what is a situation like with someone who has, um some type of a a learning disability or developmental disability or addiction. I mean, what are the, what is that really, you know, what do you do to help that, that addict that's also homeless? I mean, how does that situation approached? You're right. Everybody is different. So we, do those individual assessments and try to figure out what what each individual needs. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, we have an individual now who was released from federal prison. Um, I was not aware that we keep federal prisoners in Kankakee County, but we do. That that would well, Some. I think that goes with uh, the. 
I, I now I'm not an expert on this, but I do know that Jerome Combs Detention Center, you know, the county, they they do work. They obviously work with ICE, but they will work with the FBI um, and even U.S. Marshals. Yeah. So I think maybe that yeah. might tie into what yeah. you know, you're talking about. So. so we got a call from them. There's somebody being released. He's homeless. He was homeless before he, you know, started serving his time. And um, so I was dubious. You know, you have your... You have your preconceived notions, but we serve everybody, you know, as long as you can live in a communal setting and follow the rules, you know, we don't, we try not to judge Discriminate, you. Discriminate, mm-hmm. yeah. And so um, they brought him over and they said, uh, we think he has dementia. Uh, so what showed up was this adorable, funny, older man uh, who, by all appearances, wouldn't hurt a fly. Now, obviously, at some point in his past, mm-hmm. <laughs> something must have happened. It was questionable, yeah. <laughs> but um, he does have severe dementia, and we're we're shocked at how he finds our place every night. Now, our homeless community all helps each other. They kind of pal around together during the day. So he has a lot of assistance from other guests who help him during the day and make sure that he gets there. But um, every night he comes, every night he asks if— we feed them every night. He asks, "Where where's the bedroom?" Every night he asks, "Where's where do I go to get food?" He'll get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and get lost back. I mean, literally across the hall is his bed. Um, gets lost, and so it's it's very sad. And so we have spent the last three weeks trying to figure out what he. How can you? He needs more help than we can. Yeah, buy. I mean, it's almost like you need a memory care. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like it's something new mm-hmm. to experience for you guys. So we have been working with uh, his parole officers from Chicago. We've been working with Catholic Charities, Senior Services down here. But all of that is a process. Mm-hmm. Trying to get him into a memory care facility needs a psychiatric evaluation. Um, so, uh, you know, we work with other agencies, other uh, individuals all the time to try to meet these particular needs. Um, we're probably, uh, we probably have the hardest time in connecting individuals with substance abuse services. So um, I think some of that is just the nature of substance abuse services, which is you got to want it. You yes, know, that all comes back to that. You can mm-hmm. kick them as much as you want, but that's not going to change mm-hmm. anything. Right. And so so addiction providers are not going to come seek you out. No, <laughs> you know? they're not. So um, they're there if, if you know, somebody wants to go, like the Salvation Army, if somebody says they're ready to go to rehab, they will drive them up to Chicago, the rehab facility, the next day. And we know that. Um, so, you know, we just continue to work with them with our, our relationship focus, try to work with them to the point where we we're building back their self-esteem, we're building up their hope until they're ready for it. But um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And everybody has those those uh, particular needs that we try to meet. Right. Now, how what are exactly are the the rules for fortitude for someone that, you know, how does, is there a, do you line up at a certain time every day or are you promised a spot? Like, how does that, how does all that work? Um, we have had an agreement, we have had a rule and, and the city, you know, expects it of us that they don't loiter at our site until six o'clock. They can start lining up at six o'clock PM okay. doors open at six thirty. When they leave at seven in the morning, they need to leave. go off site. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they do a very good job of maintaining that. They they know that that's not allowed. So um, when we started filling up, we had to kind of reassess because before that it was first come, first serve. And what we realized is that we had the vast majority of individuals that stayed with us regularly were people that uh, men who were working. Um, a few individuals who were elderly and then probably four or five women who we felt were vulnerable enough that they should not be on the streets. And so we created a priority list and we told those individuals, because if you're working, you need a good night's sleep. 
Like mm-hmm. We're pro go to work every day. Yeah. And obviously. so, um, you know, we, we want to prioritize that they um, come and get a good night's sleep. So those individuals have until eight o'clock to show up. We guarantee them a bed. And if they don't come by 8 p.m. or don't call us to say that they are running behind, then we open up the whatever else is available to individuals who aren't on that priority list. So those individuals tend to be ones who are kind of more chronic individuals and probably, you know, if they didn't have a bed, we know that they have some other way of surviving on the street. So not ideal, but... Mm -hmm. Um, better that than somebody who has to get up and work a 10-hour shift at McDonald's tomorrow. Yeah, right. And I mean, I can only imagine, especially when it starts to become cold. Yeah. I mean, you can obviously die from yeah. it being, and they you do. get hypothermia or or whatever. Yeah. Uh, like, is it hypothermia, right? Am I yeah, right yeah. in that usually? Yeah, or frost. If it's, yeah. if it's cold enough. Yeah, and that was actually um, probably the biggest impetus for us starting Fortitude was that I had heard from a retired Kankakee police officer that um, people die every year, um, at least at that point. People die every year on the streets because of exposure to the elements. So, um, you know, that was kind of one of those things that changes, at least for me, just changed like I know we can do better. Mm-hmm. I knew it. I know we have enough funds and enough care in the community to not have that here. So if if we've prevented that or if we can prevent that in the future, that's my goal. So going forward, um, what, what do you need the most? I'm sure everything you need help with, but I'm sure there's certain things that you immensely need help with. I don't know if it's, it's volunteers or mm-hmm. more... Uh, supplies, funding, I mean, mm-hmm. what, all, probably all the above, but uh, is there anything in particular like th- that uh, that there's misconceptions about fortitude or anything you want to mm-hmm. clear the air on? We get asked all the time if we will accept clothing and we do not accept clothing. It takes up a ton of room. It takes up a ton of time. Is it just because you have to like wash it and all that kind of stuff or... It's you have to organize it all by size, mm-hmm. by jo- I mean, it's it's takes up a lot. Yeah. So the, there's another organization in town at the Lusu Center that um, that's their gig is they do clothing, and so they will offer free clothing to you, right? To, if you need it, yeah, to anyone. But uh, so we directly connect our individuals to them for clothing. We do keep. We try to keep hoodies. We try to keep. Coats, um, things that are keep you warm, right? Yeah, um, and winter boots because those we feel like those are kind of essential things. Yes. So yeah, people ask us about that all the time. Um, I think some people, you know, get disappointed that we can. But <laughs> yeah. uh, to be honest, we are out of space. We have a, a very large storage unit that is chuck full of it's full. Yeah. Um, and then our space at St. Paul's is basically taken, you know, short of us becoming really cluttered there, which, you know, of course, we're guests in that environment. So we don't want that to happen. So we we're we basically have what we need. There's a few things that we list on our website um, and our Facebook that we'll always need just because they're consumed. Men's boxers are one of those things that <laughs> uh, we I mean, underwear out a lot of. Well, sure, because uh, <laughs> you know, they wear out yeah. your underwear wears out. Yeah. You know. So we get thousands of free socks from Bombas every year. <laughs> um, cool. You know, they advertise that on the radio, uh, free sock, mm-hmm. buy one, get one um, yeah. for the homeless. And they are good on that. So we have plenty of socks and they love those. Um, and uh, when we get our new space, we'll have lots of storage so we can start. We We like to collect things so that when people get into apartments, we can get them right into it. But so our biggest re- needs right now um, are funding that capital campaign to build the new building. So we need 350000 from the community. We're going to finance about $200,000. Um, we are at about 50000 right now. So we have a ways to go. 
But we also need to have our operations continued at the same time. And so, right. um, you know, we we try to encourage people right now to really think about what's a sacrificial gift. Um, you know, look at your finances. What's something you could give as a one-time donation towards the building? Um but we also encourage people to continue to give. Some people give, you know, a recurring donation online so they don't have to think about it. And some people just send us money every once in a while. So those things are definitely needed because we need staff and uh, supplies and insurance and all those types of things just to keep running. But we also always need volunteers. So our shelter volunteers have to do an hour training to be able to do that. And we'll start those up again in January. But we also, people can sign up to just serve a meal. You could come in and okay. just serve the meal for a night, which is a, a good gateway. You know, I was going to say, it's a good do. way to kind of get your mm-hmm. feet wet. Yep. Um, we have people sign up to bring all of our food. So, you know, you might sign up to bring the oatmeal for tomorrow's breakfast. Okay. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be hard or uh-huh. you can make the pulled pork, you know? Um, so there's different levels of, of um, commitment there. Um, we right now have put a, a hold on street outreach because, because we're filling up. We just, we need all hands on deck mm-hmm. at the shelter. Um, but most people that, We've been serving on the streets or at the shelter now, so yeah. But but we, that's for sure. We do that in the summer. Um, so there's always a there's always a place if that's something you want to volunteer at. We are always in need of more volunteers. So funds and volunteers are really our biggest need. And is it it's fortitudecommunityoutreach.org? Yep. Okay, so people can find it more there. Obviously, um, Facebook and yep. and Instagram yep. as well. Yep. Um. And anything else? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I know your I know your intention. Your podcast is really to celebrate Kankakee County, um, and I would mirror that. I think um, we like any municipality, any area. We have our our things, <laughs> but I'm so proud of how people consistently come together to support our work with the homeless. I know that a, there's a lot of other people that are also helping the homeless. There, There is a compassion, there is a concern, and people are willing to put their money where their, you know, their concern is. So uh, I, I just praise the people of Kinky County for that, and we're happy to partner with them. Yeah, well, praise you for all the work you're doing. I mean, you couldn't, uh, Fortitude Community Outreach couldn't have come at a better time. Mm-hmm. And considering with, you know, the Salvation Army, shelters closing and other facilities uh, yeah. having a hard time or, or closing as well. And then opening right before the pandemic yeah. in the St. Paul, the old St. Paul school. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just. Yeah, God, God has a plan. Um, I could not have <laughs> figured this. <laughs> if you asked me three years ago, if we'd be here. I would laugh at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he's he's guided us the the entire way, and he'll continue to. And so that's that's exciting. Yeah. Well, you you have uh, you have our full support. You know, whatever um, I can do to to help spread the word, you know, um, about, uh, you know, getting that funding for the building or anything like that. You just let me know. Yeah. So I'd be happy to get the, you know, get the word out. Great. So Dawn, thank you so much for doing this. This was, I learned, I learned a lot today. So, and there's so much, I I know, as I say, with almost every guest, Mm -hmm. we could go on forever. Yeah. You know, it's such a, 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 a deep topic, so many facets and, you, I'm sure, have so many stories mm-hmm. of things that you have seen. Yeah, I'm going to write the book someday. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you'll be back to talk about the book. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> you know? All right. So you heard it, fortitudecommunityoutreach.org. Also find them on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, that will conclude this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. If you could do me a favor and please subscribe, rate us. 
uh, give us a, a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media as well at Kankakee Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, all the social media platforms at Kankakee Podcast. You can sign up for our mailing list as well at KankakeePodcast.com. And our theme song is by Lupe Carroll. People tend to stick to the